You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. The days are growing colder, the nights are growing longer, but all the same challenges we've been facing in 2020 are still very much with us. Take it all together and many Bay Area nonprofits fear we could soon hit a breaking point. We're literally going to be seeing people moving into the streets. We're going to be seeing families with people with children. I'm Keith Menconi. This is KCBS In-Depth, and today on the program, we're going to be hearing about the soaring needs facing low-income residents as we enter the holiday season and what could be done to help. There's a lot of different ways that people can get involved. First up, widespread hunger and food insecurity. They've been major challenges plaguing the Bay Area since well before the pandemic began. But the job losses from COVID restrictions have only made things worse. Meantime, all the added complexity of living in a pandemic world, well, that's made the work of getting food to those in need all the more difficult, too. So we're going to hear a bit more about those challenges and how they're ramping up as we head into the holiday season. Uh, Bringing us that perspective, we're welcoming back onto the program now Leslie Bacho. She is the CEO of Second Harvest of Silicon Valley. Uh, Leslie, welcome back to KCBS In-Depth. Thank you, Keith. So when we spoke with you on the program uh, way back in March, uh, at the time, your food bank was rushing to adjust to all the new health and safety requirements of uh, this new age that we're in. Uh, You were telling us about how social distancing was slowing down uh, the food sorting going on in your warehouses. You also told us about the extra work going into make COVID-safe food boxes, extra complexity there as well. Uh, And finally, you told us about the major hit your operations took due to the slowdown in volunteers uh, ready and willing and showing up to help out. So here we are uh, a little bit more than 10 months later. What does the picture look like now? Well, you know, um, unfortunately, a lot of those same themes are present. But I think what's so different is that then we thought this was just going to be a temporary state we'd be operating in. And like you say, now we're 10 months into it. And unfortunately, we don't anticipate this level of need is going to let up. In fact, you know, we're concerned about spikes as we get into the new year and um, new challenges arise. And so we're just, you know, now in this mode of trying to figure out how do we sustain this for the long run? It's like in the beginning, we were in the sprint and we were trying to stay flexible and making changes all the time. And now we're just trying to uh, kind of plan for the marathon of delivering this level of need long term. And so what kind of strains does that put on your operation needing to uh, find those sorts of long-term solutions? Uh, do, you, do you hit a breaking point at a certain point, or do you feel like, you know, sort of kind of here and there you're finding your stride? Well, um, you know, one of the big challenges 
that we've had is just labor. As you said, you know, we're really dependent on volunteers at Second Harvest, both in our facilities and out at our distribution sites. And in the beginning, we had so many, um, you know, corporate groups naturally cancel because of shelter in place. We have so many volunteers that are seniors, and of course, we're unable to volunteer. And fortunately, we were able to call in the National Guard, and we had at our peak, 140 guard members at our facilities week after week packing these boxes. Now we're down to about 10 National Guard members. We've been able to bring in another group, the San Jose Conservation Corps, who has been helping us pack these boxes. And we've had a lot of our individual volunteers come back and start volunteering. Like in October, we saw fewer volunteers, but the volunteers we had were volunteering more hours, which is wonderful. So as we're thinking about, um, you know, kind of how we're going to operate for the long haul, we're just trying to continue to expand the number of volunteer shifts we have. We're trying to, we, we're renting an additional 90,000 square foot warehouse, which means that we have more space for people to pack these boxes. We're just trying to continue to expand so that we can accommodate more need. All right. And I just want to remind listeners real quick that we are hearing right now from Leslie Bacho, the CEO of Second Harvest of Silicon Valley. And uh, let's talk about that need for a second, because it's not just that it's gotten more difficult to operate. It's also we've seen a a significant increase in need. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing on that front. That's right. Well, you know, what's been really dramatic about this crisis is just how immediate that need was, how literally in a matter of weeks, we started seeing 50% more people than 100% more people coming to our distribution sites. And so we saw this, you know, we were serving a quarter million people pre-pandemic. By June, we were serving a half million people. And that number has stayed pretty constant at a half million since then. Just earlier this month, we were starting to hear reports from some of our sites of those numbers beginning to tick up. And what we're concerned about is, you know, there are many benefits that are going to be ending at the end of this year. There are also, um, you know, we're concerned about going back into the purple zone and more businesses closing and that leading to more people needing food assistance. And then we're just concerned about the long-term impact of people being out of work for so long. And, you know, What we often see at our sites is people who have just had to completely wipe out their savings who are, you know, this is going to have a really long time impact for them. Yeah. Uh, Let's uh, get to the, I suppose, news of the week. Obviously, Thanksgiving week and uh, Thanksgiving, the day itself, uh, really important times for food distribution, for making sure that everybody has a happy holiday season. What did Thanksgiving Day look like in terms of uh, food distribution? Uh, How was it different from years past? Sure. Well, the majority of our food goes out as groceries. And so what we try to do leading up to Thanksgiving is we try to make sure all of our grocery distributions have a real bounty of assorted fresh produce. And there are lots of important staples there like carrots and onions and um, sweet potatoes and uh, white potatoes. And then we also try to make sure everybody gets a whole chicken Some of our sites also have turkeys, but we um, try to make sure um, that everybody has a whole chicken and then other important staple items. We also, of course, have many partners who are meal programs who are providing Thanksgiving meals. And for so many of our meal providers, of course, they're providing grab and go options versus um, a dine-in choice, which has been very different for how they have to operate. And so... 
overall, would you say that the, the typical level of uh, distribution and the, the typical level of service that uh, has, has been seen in years past, was, was that managed to be matched this year? Was it just a matter of uh, adapting a little bit? Yes, I have to say, I'm really pleased to say, you know, the distributions I was at before Thanksgiving, I was at a beautiful distribution just on Wednesday at... Um, it actually takes place at an elementary school in Daly City. It's run by the Boys and Girls Club. There were families there picking up homework for their kids. At the same time, they were picking up groceries, and there was a special line for seniors in the neighborhood um, who were walking up and socially distancing and picking up food, and they had a great drive-through operation going on as well. And um, again, everybody was really receiving a great variety of products. So let's look forward to the challenges that still lie ahead, because as difficult as things have been, a lot of folks have been relying on that federal stimulus money, other forms of stimulus. And it's unclear how much longer that is going to last for everybody. Certain forms are already seeming to dry up uh, for some. So with that financial reality hanging off uh, in in, in the not-too-distant future, how does that change the picture of uh, need in the Bay Area? Are things going to get worse yet still? Well, that's what we're really concerned about. I mean, again, we feel like we're really pulling out all the stops to meet this level of need. And so now, um, just prior to Thanksgiving, we were having lots of conversation about what are we going to do to manage those spikes? How do we make sure we have the facilities we need? How do we make sure that we have the volunteers we need? How do we make sure we have the food we need? And that's one of the challenges um, I haven't talked much about yet, but certainly has been a big one for us. As you might imagine, during this pandemic, there have been a lot of supply chain disruptions that have been a challenge. And we've also had the benefit of getting a lot of commodities from the federal government. Typically, food banks receive an allocation every year of federal commodities, but we've had a lot of extra ones this year, some specific to the pandemic. There was a program called the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, and that resulted in us getting, literally at its peak, we were getting 38,000 boxes a week of these beautiful pre-boxed boxes of commodities that had milk and eggs and cheese and produce and um, some other protein items. And that was a huge help for us not only because we were getting the food from free from the government, but also because it was coming pre-boxed to us. And now that program is going away completely. It's down to a trickle right now. It's going to be done by the end of December, and we're going to have to replace all that food, which is going to be a real challenge. Hmm. And what are the options that are still out there? I mean, uh, we've spoken a number of times before, so I know how resourceful you guys are uh, turning to everything from the food that just doesn't sell or to the the cereal boxes that have wacky labels on them and uh, nobody wants to buy. So uh, you do have a way of uh, finding a way. Uh, what, What are the options that still remain? That's a great question. So, um, you know, one of our anchors is going to continue to be fresh produce. We have great relationships with growers right here in the Central Valley, and we're able to literally bring in, usually we bring in more than 40 tractor trailer loads a week of this fresh produce that we're able to get for pennies on the pound and just pay the transportation. You know, pre-pandemic, we only purchased a little over 20% of our food. The rest was donated. But now, um, especially with these commodities going away, we our food purchase is likely to go up to, well, at the highest so far, it's been closer to 40% of our uh, the food we distribute. And that also means we just have to raise more money. I mean, we're providing double the amount of food, we're serving double the number of people, and we have literally doubled our budget to be able to do that. 
Wow. All right. Well, I want to remind listeners one more time that this is KCBS In-Depth. Today, we're speaking with Leslie Bacho, once again, the CEO of Second Harvest of Silicon Valley. And uh, just in the few minutes that we have left, let's talk a little bit about what people can do to help. Obviously, it is the season of giving, as uh, we call it each and every year. For folks who do want to give, uh, what do you need? I understand that uh, in-kind food is not necessarily highest on your list. Well, we're actually not accepting donations from individuals this year, and that's due to safety concerns, just trying to reduce the foot traffic at our facilities. Also, our retail partners don't want to have uh, barrels in their stores necessarily. And honestly, at the food bank, we can stretch people's dollars so much farther because of the great deals we're able to negotiate if we do buy food, because we get so much donated. So we do need people's financial support or encouraging people to host a virtual food drive instead of a um, traditional food drive. And then we also need volunteers. And especially in the new year, you know, people think of us a lot at the holidays, but we're going to need volunteers in January and February. And um, again, not only at our facilities, but at our distribution sites. And if you go to our website, you can see how to get connected with a site near you. And I also want to emphasize we're really taking great precautions to keep people safe. So we have good social distancing. Everybody is wearing masks. We have gloves. We have lots of sanitizing stations. Um, We're really doing our best to keep people safe. Right. And I know that food banks around the Bay Area, as well as other nonprofits, uh, are in much the same boat and making much the same appeal at the moment. We have been speaking today to Leslie Bacho. She is the CEO of Second Harvest of Silicon Valley. Leslie Bacho, always good to speak with you. Thanks for being back on KCBS In-Depth. Thank you, Keith. Appreciate it. Great to talk with you. listening to KCBS In-Depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Menconi. Today on the program, well, the holiday season brings great need to the Bay Area every year, but that's turning out to be doubly true in 2020 as we continue to face a spreading pandemic and severe job losses. We've been discussing what's being done to meet the challenge of food insecurity in the region. Up next, we're going to turn our attention instead to the homelessness crisis and why many advocates see serious warning signs for the months ahead. For that perspective, we're welcoming onto the program now Bridget Balahaja, Program Manager of Parish Engagement at Catholic Charities, Santa Clara County. Bridget Balahaja, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So in your role, I know that you work with not only folks that uh, are homeless, but folks on the brink of homelessness, folks at risk of falling into homelessness. And, you know, here in the Bay Area, there are a lot of people that fall into that category just because it is a difficult place to live. Cost of living is so high. And, you know, lots of folks were struggling even before this pandemic began. How has that picture changed over the course of the last 10 months? What does this all look like from your vantage point? Yeah. So as you kind of mentioned there, there were a lot of families pre-pandemic who were living in this valley and were already struggling, already kind of on the margins and were um, just barely making it. And then when the pandemic struck um, and we all had to shelter in place for a good reason, uh, a lot of those people were lost their jobs and were forced to stay home um, and don't have any kind of income coming in. But meanwhile, the rent just keeps going on. 
um, and people have to pay their bills and they have no jobs to return to. So unfortunately, circumstances have only gotten worse. Um, and now what we're seeing is that the average person in this valley is owing somewhere around $20,000 in rent. Um, and that doesn't include their ex- extra bills when we're talking about utilities, phones, um, anything else that they might owe on a monthly basis. Those expenses just continue to mount for them. And it's really insurmountable in a lot of ways. All right. So uh, as you say, the pressure is just going up and up and up. Uh, how is that translating into the homelessness crisis? Uh, are, are, are we seeing that spike in terms of more people entering homelessness? Yeah, we're definitely expecting that it's going to rise um, quite drastically. And, you know, part of my work is in advocacy and really raising red flags around making sure that we are prepared for what's coming. Um, And within Catholic Charities, what we are really trying to shout from the rooftops about is that, you know, within a few short months, if we don't take action very, very soon, we are literally, literally going to be seeing people moving into the streets. We're going to be seeing families with people with children who are going to be coming unhoused um, very quickly. And I, I don't use this term lightly, but I really do believe that there are going to be refugee camps of Americans who don't have anywhere else to go because shelters are full, rent is too high, and there's no um, way to support them. That's a really uh, troubling picture that you're painting right there. Uh, and I could imagine for some listeners, perhaps uh, something of a surprising picture, because we, we have been hearing an awful lot about the various forms of support that have been coming in, whether we're talking about the stimulus money, an awful lot of money um, going out over the course of the year at the federal level, also hearing about many forms of support at the state level, the local level. So there, there have been many attempts at uh, supporting folks that are falling into these difficult situations. But uh, you're saying so far it hasn't been enough. Where is the disconnect? Is it just that the, the scale of the support so far really doesn't meet the scale of the challenge? Yeah, it's I mean, so you nailed it on the head. It's certainly not enough. I mean, the the federal stimulus packages that were sent out, um, some of us didn't even get those. Um, and then some of us it d- did get them. My own husband and I, we only un- ended up getting a quarter of what we were supposed to be allotted with our two children. Right. So we know on a personal level that there were some gaps that were there. The, that's, you know, f- that's nothing in comparison to what our clients are going through. Um, a lot of our, our clients have shared with us that they didn't ever receive any kind of aid. Um, more of them have shared that the aid that they got was just simply not enough. It was a one-time kind of package that was given to them um, that made barely a dent in one month of their rent. The average rent here in Silicon Valley is around $3,000. Um, and so when you're looking at, you know, sure, you get an extra $600 a month, that, that runs out very, very quickly. Um, and it doesn't do very much for a family of four, which is the average that we're seeing around here. So when you're talking about, you know, how much aid is needed, um, Congress is going to need to act very, very fast to make sure that all families are protected. All right. And then just one more element that we should add into the mix right there is that we are entering the winter months. It is getting colder. And that means that shelter right now is becoming a matter of uh, life and death. And that is another area where we've seen significant challenges over the course of the year because, you know, uh, social distancing makes sheltering at a homeless shelter all the more difficult, all the more expensive. So uh, I know a lot of homeless shelters around the Bay Area have really been working hard to make sure that their shelters are safe. And uh, sometimes that's meant fewer people allowed in one spot. 
Uh, tell us a little bit about what the picture looks like as we go into these winter months and uh, trying to keep everybody warm and safe. Yeah, so the way that, the, that things were working in the county now is that um, people have to call a um, COVID hotline for when they're experiencing homelessness. So what that looks like is that either the homeless person themselves or a provider who's working with them needs to call this hotline um, and acquire a space and they, that need, they need to go through a referral process. So prior to the pandemic, if I was experiencing homelessness, I could, in theory, get myself over to one of these shelters, present myself, and hopefully get a space, right? And that's that's on a good day. Um, but right now, in the midst of all of this, because of the COVID precautions that are being put into place, for good reason, um, it's causing a delay in the time that people are able to actually get housed. So we're looking at one to three days of, of time where a person is living out on the streets exposed um, because they are having to go through this referral process that can be kind of lengthy. There's a medical evaluation that needs to happen. And then there's a space that needs to open up um, because we can't just pack the shelters um, in. We need to make sure that there is enough space, physical distancing that's happening um, so that everybody who's already in the shelter can be safe. But what that means is that there's, there's less room. Um, so what I'm really concerned about is that as our shelters fill up, um, and to your point, the weather gets really, really cold. Are we going to see more people who are dying of exposure? Um, are we going to see more people whose health challenges are going to get worse because they're living out in these really, really bad conditions? All right. Well, I just want to take a quick second to remind listeners that this is KCBS In-Depth. Uh, today we're speaking with Bridget Balahaja with Catholic Charities Santa Clara County about the homelessness crisis and how that's shaping up in the midst of pandemic and all the other challenges of 2020. Uh, switching topics just a little bit. Um, so one confounding trend, somewhat puzzling trend that we've seen emerge over the last several months. Um, well, in the spring, I, I think a lot of folks were really expecting the, the rate of spread of the COVID pandemic among the homeless population to be really severe uh, fear of just, you know, widespread infections and deaths. And that has not materialized to the degree that folks were worried about. Obviously, there have been uh, many deaths and uh, challenges here and there, but just not on the scale that I think uh, some were warning about. But what we have seen instead are a spike in deaths at, at a really alarming level among homeless residents that seem to be sort of uh, an aftershock of the pandemic, not direct infections, but sort of related to the problems of the pandemic. So, uh, you know, folks struggling because they can't find services or um, perhaps uh, drug abuse on the rise, also causing a lot of problems um, related to the pandemic. Curious for your thoughts on why things have turned out that way, because, you know, as I said, it's it's really not, I think, what a lot of folks were expecting back in spring. Right. Thanks for bringing that up, because that's super important. Um, even just earlier this week, there was an email that was sent out to most of the providers in the county about the rise in fentanyl use. Um, and that was already a drug that was really problematic and entered on their streets. Um, and there's more exposure, frankly, when you're living unhoused. Um, there, there's just a higher usage rate there. So um, drug usage and unintended death is definitely something that we've seen a spike in. But, you know, more than that, we're seeing more people who are saying, you know, I'm too afraid to go to my doctor. Um, I'm too afraid to access medical care. Or if I'm accessing medical care, you know, hospitals are having to make a choice on whether or not they can admit people for what used to be fairly um, easy and treatable conditions. 
Um, but now because of the impact of COVID and, you know, making sure that everybody is being kept safe, especially our healthcare workers, um, we're having to, to see, you know, homeless people who are dealing with really, really difficult circumstances and are maybe not getting the care that they need um, for a variety of different reasons. So medical care has definitely been challenging and it always has been for our unhoused population. But in the time of COVID, it's, it's exponentially so. And those uh, trend lines may be getting worse before they get better. Um, uh, let's spend the rest of the program looking ahead to uh, what may be in store for 2021. And one thing that looks likely to be in store is uh, a drawdown of some of the support measures that are in place right now. Uh, there was obviously a statewide effort to get as many homeless residents into uh, hotel rooms as possible. The idea there was to uh, limit the spread of COVID-19, help people shelter in place in safe spots. Well, the end of some of that program may be on site, uh, in sight, and it's not entirely clear where the residents who are staying in hotels will go next. And uh, the fear is that some of them will actually end up on the street once again. What are you seeing there, Bridget Balahaja? Is that something that uh, you're concerned about as well? Very. We are very, very, very worried about that. We have several clients right now who are in those hotel rooms that you referenced um, and the challenge with those is that that support is only available up until the minute that, that shelter in place is over. So we know for a fact that when shelter in place is, you know, terminated, whenever that's going to be, those families are going to be out on the street, literally out on the street. Um, and there is no contingency plan for them. So right now, the way that we've been planning around that and, and trying to support with them is really through um, parish and, and interfaith movement and religious work. Um, there's been a lot of communities who have stepped up and said, you know, we can fundraise and we can try and get these folks and these families into um, apartments and stuff. And, and again, that's mostly out of the goodness of people's hearts. But when it comes to a collaborated response of different networks, agencies, the government who's supposed to be taking care of people, you know, we're not really seeing that on our end. Um, and we're very deeply concerned that the people who are already unhoused are going to continue to do, be so. And the people who are housed only because of the rental um, moratorium right now, we're concerned that those people are going to enter homelessness. So just seeing an exponential rise in people who are living on the streets. Well, we only have a couple of minutes left, but um, keeping all of that in mind, uh, all the many ways that people are struggling and all the many concerns that are still out there, uh, I was wondering if we could uh, close out um, perhaps just discussing how folks out there could perhaps contribute. Um, uh, you know, it is the season of giving. I'm sure a lot of people are looking for ways to give. And if they do want to contribute to uh, this cause in particular, uh, what is the best way to do so in your view? Definitely. So there's a lot of different ways that people can get involved. There's uh, volunteering. So, you know, showing up, helping out at a food distribution site. Catholic Charities distributes food seven days a week at various parishes. So helping out with that. Um, helping out within our parish engagement program, specifically at Our Lady of Refuge, where we, we see a lot of unhoused people who are coming to get medical attention through Gardner, which is one of our service partners. 
Um, and so that's volunteerism. Donation wise, uh, there are tons of different places where you can donate either physical items. Right now, the Diocese of San Jose is hosting a, a coat drive, um, a coat and blanket drive. Um, and then there's obviously the, the financial route of funding programs within the Valley that directly impact and work with um, unhoused people. So whether that means making a donation to a, a local shelter um, or whether that means helping out with you know, donating directly to Catholic charities um, in our work with the unhoused population, that is always welcome. All right. Well, uh, a lot of ways to give, but a lot of needs to meet as well. We have been speaking today to Bridget Balahaja, once again, Program Manager of Parish Engagement at Catholic Charities, Santa Clara County. Bridget Balahaja, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.